It's great to be uh, with you today. And um, just another warm welcome to you. If you're here in the building and it's your first time or your first time in a long time, um, you're so welcome. And if you're joining us online as well, a really warm welcome to you. And we're starting today a new series looking at Isaiah 61. And I'm going to look at the first two verses of this wonderful chapter in Isaiah. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. We're starting this um, series today. And this is the passage extraordinary when you think about it. This is the passage when Jesus comes to the synagogue at Nazareth. At the start of his public ministry, he's handed the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it and he could read anything. His opportunity to declare his manifesto, his purpose, to announce what's going to be different now that he has come. And the passage he reads is this passage. And he finishes, he rolls up the scroll, he gives it back to the attendant. He sits down in the synagogue, says the eyes, this is in Luke, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's fulfilled today in your hearing. It's extraordinary. Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of this extraordinary prophecy, of these remarkable promises. And that means that this passage is an extraordinary touchstone, manifesto, guide for us today as we seek to understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. How we who seek to follow him are called to live. How we might Come alongside Jesus, join with Jesus to bring transformation in our workplaces, our schools, our universities, our offices, our businesses, our hospitals, our communities, our families, wherever he has placed us to be. And the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is anointed to preach good news to the poor. One of the reasons this passage is so vital for us as a church today is... As we're here in the UK, starting, we hope, to emerge from all these restrictions and starting to enjoy our freedoms again, as we're thinking about how we might rebuild our lives and reconnect our relationships after such an extraordinary season, this passage in its original context is written to a people in order to give them comfort or courage, to a people who'd come out of a traumatic period of exile living in another nation, disorientated by that, facing the challenge of being surrounded by people who didn't really share their values, didn't really share their faith, didn't really understand their culture or their faith. And yet having experienced that confusing period and having just come out of it, they're now faced with this remarkable opportunity of rebuilding their city. And sometimes it can feel a bit like that, a bit like they must have felt. We really want to make a difference. We'd love to use this period we've just gone through as kind of a springboard into what might be, to learn from all the the reworking of our values that we've experienced over this time and to put that into practice in all that is to be. We know that we face great opportunity. There's great opportunities for all.
feel like a bit of a minority. A message that, um, oh, thanks, Mark, so kind of you. I'll see how it goes. Um, know deep down that we've got a message that people so desperately need to hear. And yet, if we're honest, because we've been su- through such a crazy time, um, we can go a little bit quiet. We, we can kind of go into exactly the sort of emotional space that's described in this passage, where, where they're kind of a little bit on the back foot. Got a great truth to declare but we can withdraw a little bit. And into that space, these words are declared. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Jesus knew that the spirit of the sovereign Lord was on him. The spirit had rested on him at his baptism. The spirit of God had led him into the wilderness to be tested. And as he came out of that time of testing, He was returning in the power of the Spirit. He was anointed by the Lord to preach, to proclaim the good news to the poor. Good news for the downtrodden. Good news for those who are disadvantaged. Good news for those who are struggling. Good news for those who are feeling weak. Good news for those who are feeling at the end of themselves. To announce, to bring, to declare the good news. That's what Jesus came to do. Fascinating in this, just in these two verses, three times we see proclaim, proclaim, proclaim. The gospel isn't just a matter of words, it's not just a matter of speech, but that's where it always begins. Got something to declare. It begins with a word, it begins with speech. There's an extraordinary creative power in our voices and in the words we used. God spoke a word and The universe was created out of nothing. Jesus spoke and people were healed. Jesus spoke and people were set free. Jesus spoke and people turned back to God. Jesus spoke a word of thanks and bread was multiplied. He spoke a word of peace and the storm was stilled. There's a remarkable power in our words. And the gospel is good news for us. It's good news for our city. It's good news for our colleagues. It's good news for all who are far off. It's good news for all who are struggling, who desperately need our help. But it's only good news if people can actually hear it. It's not just about words. It's always about actions too. But it's not less than words. I was told when I was growing up, you know, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. I was thinking, that sounds great. But I found it really hard to do. No matter how, how, how much of a wonderful life I lived, not many people looked at me and said, you're living a wonderful life. That must mean that 2,000 years ago, someone came and lived and died. It just didn't happen to me. I longed for it to happen. Tried so hard for it to happen. And then I look at Jesus, Jesus of anyone who's ever lived on the face of the earth, in all of history, no one has ever embodied the gospel more than Jesus. No one could ever just walk into a room and embody the gospel and people to see what it meant that God loved them and has come for them. And yet Jesus used words. He spoke. He told people the good news. And I sometimes feel like I need to remind myself, particularly at times like this, of what good news it is, to rub it into my heart and to my mind, that because of Jesus, I am known to the bottom of my soul. All of the good, all of the bad, all that I'm proud of and try and push to the surface, all that I'm ashamed of and try and bury and hide. I'm known to the bottom of my soul, and yet I'm loved to the sky. That because of the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for me, I can know forgiveness. I can know freedom. 
I can know restoration of relationship with God. I never want to take that for granted. I never want to be complacent about it. I've never forgot my friend Ed. My friend Ed, session musician, amazing, talented uh, guitarist. And he's an atheist, and he gave his girlfriend a really hard time about her faith for a really long time. And after a while, she just got to the end of herself, and she said, look, if this is such a problem for you, you should just go and explore it with someone else. I can't deal with all your stuff anymore. And so he kind of found his way to a church. He did, did an alpha course, and he was in my small group. And on the third week of that, he, he heard for the first time that Jesus died on a cross for him. And we came down into our little discussion group, and everyone was just going around saying how their week had been. And it came to Ed, and I said, Ed, how, how are you doing? And he looked completely stunned, and his eyes kind of filled with tears. And he said, I just, I mean, if that's true, I mean, if that's really true, if Jesus really did that for me, it's beautiful, and I just want to thank him. It completely transformed his life. He was never the same again. He's captivated by who Jesus is and what he had done for him. The gospel transforming his life. That is good news. Just last Sunday, someone who was here in this church messaged me to say, do you know today I've started the first steps back to God. The first steps this week. That's amazing. It's good news. But it's not just being saved from the consequences of our sin. It's saved for a glorious purpose. It's being adopted through Jesus as much-loved daughters, as much-loved sons of God. It's good news for us, but it's not just good news for us. Because as we really understand the implications of this good news, it kind of, it kind of empowers us and motivates us to live lives which restore relationships and restore social structures and bring change to our city. And that's why it's good news for the poor. It's always good news for the poor. Because it starts with transformed hearts and then it leads to transformed lives and then it leads to transformed communities. It's why it's amazing to see over the last few weeks how this church loves the least, the last, and the lost. How this church overflows into the city. How this church, the redemption of lives, has led to a desire to restore a whole city. That's why it's good news for the poor. So exciting to see that in our church. People coming alongside those in great need, coming alongside the poor, motivated by all Jesus has done for them and desperate that people might know and hear and see in their own lives that this is good news. Jesus was sent to proclaim good news to the poor and we're called to do the same. But we also see in this passage, Jesus is sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And the word for brokenhearted here signifies any kind of emotional relational or professional pressure, any kind of pressure in your life that might weigh upon your heart, weigh upon you in such a way as to cause a fracture in your heart. And that pressure can build over time. Sometimes it can be very sudden. Uh, sometimes the impact 
builds you know, very suddenly. Sometimes it's a gradual thing. Sometimes it's the disappointment when a relationship with long for doesn't work out. Or maybe there's a bit of a crisis or a challenge at work and, and the pressure starts to weigh down on us. Maybe it's because someone we care deeply about, um, we've been separated from. Sometimes it's because someone we trusted lets us down. And that pressure builds and it causes our hearts to fracture. And we tend to respond to that in one of two ways. Um, the first way is that we, uh, you know, we're weakened by the heartbreak. We become very conscious of our fragility. We struggle to get past it. We can kind of be tempted to withdraw because we feel so vulnerable because of the fracture in our heart. The first response, often without even thinking about it, we just feel weakened and we withdraw. The second response it, that we often attempt to do is, is our hearts become hardened. So we don't like the feeling that our hearts are fractured. And so we resolve to do whatever it takes to never again experience it. So we don't rely on others. We're present, but we're not emotionally available. We're emotionally closed off. We rely on our strengths and we try and hide our weaknesses. We're desperate to be the most successful person in the room. And often, people who are responding in that way might not display any outward obvious symptoms of a broken heart. They can be very successful. They can have huge influence. But what has driven them to that place is a broken heart. So we don't want to be weakened. We don't want to be hardened. We want our hearts to stay soft. But we can only do that as we allow God to draw close to us. So this is the challenge. So um, Matt's going to come and help me with this, illustrate this. Um, so help you come, Matt. Um, Thanks so much, Matt. So come stand over here, Matt. So Matt, as you know, if you know Matt, Matt has a very big heart, um, huge-hearted guy. And um, so, but, but sometimes, you know, life is difficult, and maybe Matt experiences a bit of a disappointment, and he experiences another disappointment, and then things don't work out. Maybe someone lets him down, and he experiences that fracture that we see in this passage, that, you know, he, he feels broken-hearted. And the difficulty is when you're experiencing a fracture like that, you're desperately in need of God's comfort and God's encouragement and God's support and God's healing. You need to know that God is for you and that God is close by you. But that is often the time when it's hardest to believe that's true because you're experiencing that fracture, you're experiencing that broken heart. And so inside you're thinking, if God really loved me, this, this wouldn't have happened. If God was close to me, I wouldn't be feeling this way. If God was for me, then why would this still be the way things are? And so when you most need to experience God's closeness to you, you think that God must be distant from you, or you think that God must be in some way angry from you. Um, but this passage says Jesus has been sent to bind up the broken hearted. Now to bind up means to bandage. That's what it means, to bandage the brokenhearted, to bandage your wounds, to bandage those fractures, those breaks in your heart. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to bandage someone's heart at a distance. It's actually really hard to do. So, um, so just imagine, you know, you're kind of, you know if, you try and, if I try and bandage Matt's heart at a distance, doesn't quite work. You know, you're kind of just tossing bandages doesn't really work. Try really hard, but it's not, it's not going to help. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Maybe, you know, you're kind of, you know, it's, you're going through a difficult time. Someone sends you a text. It's like, think of you. It's like, great. Thanks. 
I mean, it's better than nothing. I mean, it's not that it's not nice, and there's not nice intention behind it, but rarely do you get a text, you know, thinking of you kiss, and you think, I'm better. <laughs> That's all I needed was a text. It doesn't often help. And so the things to bind up, to bandage someone, you have to be close. So when it says Jesus was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, that means that when your heart is fractured or, or broken, you can know that Jesus is close. Because in order to bandage a wound, in order to bandage a broken heart, Jesus must be close. Thank you so much to Matt. Jesus is sent to bind up to bandage our broken hearts. When your heart is broken, Jesus is close. He's right there next to you. Says in the Psalms, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and to all who are suffering. And Jesus wants to bind up our hearts so that we might bring healing to those around us, so that we might bandage others. And the question is, are we going to get close enough to people to help them? And sometimes it's hard because people are complicated. When Beth and I first went to church in East London, we kind of turned up, and um, I was just chatting to this guy over coffee at the end, and he said, what do you, what do, you do for a living? And, um, and I said, oh, I'm, I'm a barrister. And he said, I need a barrister. And I said, oh, well, you know, it's, um, I, uh, I'm not that kind of barrister. I actually, I, I do criminal defense. I only defend people accused of really serious crimes. He was like, perfect. <laughs> I was like, oh, um, well, I mean, you know, a bit awkward. I say, oh, well, I, I'm, I'm very new. I mean, I've just started. He'd go, get you while you're cheap. that get you on the way up. I was like, wow. I was like, I go to Beth on the way out. I'm like, this is complicated. What do we do? This guy actually wants to employ me to represent him in a case. I was like, but actually... That guy and other people in the church, you know, complex lives became some of our best friends over the coming years. And the reality is people, all people, are complicated. Some of us are a bit better at hiding it. Some of us, it's out there and obvious. People are complicated. One of the questions we've got to ask is, are we willing to get close enough people to help them? Jesus was sent to bind up brokenhearted. And then Jesus is sent to proclaim release from darkness and freedom and favor. When Jesus read this in the synagogue in Nazareth, he was using a translation that said, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. In Isaiah it says, release from darkness for the prisoners. Jesus came to declare, to proclaim, to bring freedom and light. It's the light of the world. People who are walking in darkness need to see that light. And some of our friends, our colleagues, it might not look like they need that light. People often appear like they're sorted. They've got a great job. They're successful. They go on great holidays. It looks, looks like everything's good, but often they're missing the most important thing. They're missing the light that makes sense of all things. I studied for a few years in Cambridge, and one day I had to find a book in uh, the big library in Cambridge, a huge library, it goes on for miles and miles and miles. And this was quite an obscure book, and so it took me quite a long time to find it. And eventually I found myself in this room in the middle of nowhere, back of beyond, deep down in a basement somewhere. I walked into the room, thought, this is the room. And then as I walked in, the door closed behind me, and it was really, really dark. And then there was one little light, and then that light went off. And I was like, oh. And I was like, you know how when you're in a very, very dark room, you kind of adopt the kind of Spider-Man stance. So you're suddenly aware of kind of... So I was kind of like walking down the shelves, trying to find this book, couldn't see it, trying to find the light switch, couldn't see it. And I was kind of like walking around, and, and I got... I, I was getting as close as I could to the books. I couldn't see the books. I was like 
trying to find, I say, I'm actually stuck in this room now. I don't know which way is out. I can't see enough. Can't find the book. Can't find the light switch. Everything is everywhere. And I was like looking around thinking, I don't know what to do. And then at that moment, someone came in the same door I'd come in. And this shaft of light just filled the room. And they were so polite. They were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, thanks. And they're like, would you like me to put the light on? And I said, I was thinking, no, I'm a nocturnal creature. I just, I just love kind of scurrying around. In the, yes, if you could, that'd be so kind. Thank you so much. And they put the light on. And then obviously I could see everything. I was like, where's the light switch? He said, oh, for some reason they put them on the inside of the shelves, around the corner. They're very hard to find. I was like, thank you. But so often it's like that in life. We're scurrying around trying to find a light switch. We don't even know where it is. And we've got friends and colleagues and fellow students that, without realizing, they're kind of scrabbling around in the dark looking for light. And we know who the light is and we know where he is to be found. But unless we help them, they won't find him. They won't find the light. Sometimes it's true in a literal sense as well. People who are in prison who are drawn into the light, who encounter Jesus, who experience that restoration. People in our church who've experienced that. So exciting to see the ways that you're involved with helping people literally come from prison into freedom, literally come from darkness into light, literally come from not being sure what the next day of their life will hold to seeing their whole lives restored, being part of a community, being part of businesses, getting involved and learning skills. Extraordinary to see that remarkable can be true in a really literal sense and we see that in our church but you know you can also be outside prison and yet feel anything but free I was speaking with a guy once who'd spent a a significant maybe in total 15 years of his life he'd spent in prison and he'd been out for a few years when I was speaking to him and he was struggling a bit and I said well what's the challenge and he said he said you know I've spent all these years in prison and now I've got my, my two-bedroom flat. And he said, and it's nice. I'm not knocking it. But he said, often I sit there in the evening and I look at the walls and I think, do you know what? This is just a prettier prison. You can be out of prison and not feel free. You can be nowhere near prison and not feel free. What's fascinating about this passage is it's written to a people who had come to know their freedom. They were free. But their freedom still had to be declared to them because they were in risk of going back to a life just operating in the way they had learned over the years. Operating in captivity. Operating according to those old rules. Operating according to those old fears. Operating according to those old ways of doing things. They needed declaring to their hearts and to their minds again and again, you are free now. It's different now. You're free. It's one of the most amazing things to see when people are set free. When the burdens of fear drop off them. When their kind of expectations of other people drop off them, when the guilt that's been bothering them falls away, when their regrets aren't so prominent in their lives. And Jesus brings freedom. It's a release. It's new joy. It's new peace. It's new hope. Jesus brings freedom. And we can declare that freedom to others. And not just freedom. Jesus declares, proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. 
And it makes a difference who you are when you declare something like that. You know, only certain people have the authority to declare certain things. Now, if the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you and you're sent, it makes a difference. Your words shift things. And Jesus isn't just sent by the Lord. He is the Lord of all. And if he says it, it is. That's the power of the words he speaks. He says it's the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It just is. Because he's the one who has the power to give that favor, to demonstrate it. He makes a way by which it's possible for us to experience the favor of God by what he's done on the cross. So when he says it's the year of the Lord's favor, you can know it's the year of the Lord's favor. And it was no longer then, the second he said it, it's no longer just something that was hoped for. For centuries it was hoped for. This year that was expected to blow apart social structures, demolish injustice, this year of unprecedented restoration and blessing, where even where people had lost everything, where people had made mistakes, where they'd blown their lives up, where they set fire to their lives, where they just couldn't see a way through. Even those people, having failed in so many ways, could recover their land, could experience restored relationships, could know in their families a time of undeserved blessing and unmerited grace. And because Jesus has announced it, it's begun, it's commenced. Something shifts in the fabric of the universe from the moment Jesus declared it. And from the moment he declared it until he comes again, it's the year of the Lord's favor. But you have to hear it. You have to declare it to yourself afresh. We can approach God as much-loved children. That's available today. We can know freedom from fear. That's available today. We don't have to fear the day of the Lord's vengeance because when we declare our trust in Jesus and what he has done, every chain is broken and sin doesn't have a hold on you. You can know that today. And what's extraordinary about this passage as it was spoken over these people as they returned to the city from years and years of captivity. This promise, this truth, it was fulfilled as Jesus says, in Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord was on him. And yet it's true for us today. We can know this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord can rest on you today. That means your words can be remarkable sources of blessing and freedom and even salvation. And I find that amazing. I mean, Jesus could announce his kingdom every day with thousands upon thousands of angels in the high street of our city in stereo to everyone. And yet he entrusts it to us with our reticence and our fears about what people think and our hesitations and our stumbling words and our, our, you know, all our imperfections. And I often wonder, why? I'm going to make a hash of this a thousand times. But I trust you, Lord, that it's better this way. I trust you, Lord, that you might even be able to work through my weakness because the Spirit of the Lord is on me. And in that conversation I have, you know, with the other person in my cubicle tomorrow or with the person in the coffee shop or with that, that person I'm getting to know in my halls or, or, or actually my brother or my sister I've been praying for for years, that that conversation might in some way carry the anointing of the Spirit. 
and might be a means of salvation for them to declare good news, to bring freedom. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on Jesus. Jesus has been sent to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom, to proclaim release from darkness, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to bind up the brokenhearted. And he hasn't stopped speaking, and his words still have immeasurable power. And through him, by the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, the one with supreme and ultimate power, the Sovereign Lord, we can join in. We can be part of it. You say, well, actually, my heart still feels fractured. Jesus has been sent to bind you up. Well, I I can't see a way out of the kind of dead end I found myself in. Jesus has come to bring you from darkness into light. Well, you know, I actually feel like quite a minority in my workplace. I'm not sure if there is even another Christian in my context. But the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you. Well, I, feel, I really feel like I might be on my own. He's anointed you to preach good news. But I'm not sure. I'm, my words, I get them wrong, and I'm not sure I say the right things. I'm not sure I pick the right moments. I, I'm not sure I'm very good at that. He's anointed you to preach good news to the poor. I long to see things change in my city, my community, but I just can't see how. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you. He's anointed you. He's not going to waste a word you speak. He's not going to waste a step you take. He's not going to waste your presence in that place. He's positioned you for a purpose. And he is for you and with you. In Jesus' name, amen.